0: I'm Rasa Kay. I'm talking to Dr. Richard Kovach. He's the Director of Interventional Cardiology at Deborah Heart and Lung Center in Burlington County. And we're talking about peripheral artery disease. Lots more information on this all the time. So where are we today in 2017 on uh, our understanding of peripheral artery disease?
1: What we know for a fact is that the incidence of, of peripheral arterial disease is increasing all the time. When I first started doing Talks and presentations like this, we talked about five or six million Americans. Then, after that, a couple of years later, we're talking about eight to ten million Americans. Now, we're talking about 12 million Americans and probably 17 million within the next couple of years. Probably has a lot to do with uh, the fact that people are still smoking, unfortunately, and also the fact that uh, diabetes is uh, becoming an epidemic uh, in this country, along with uh, obesity. And uh, we know that diabetes, as well as smoking, are two of the major risk factors for developing peripheral arterial disease or obstruction of the blood vessels uh, that uh, feed the lower extremities. Uh, of course, the other major risk factors, high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, still are extremely uh, uh, important to consider, as well as family history. Uh, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about our family history, but the other major risk factors certainly we can uh, address and try to uh, uh, reduce those risks and in turn reduce our risk of uh, developing peripheral arterial disease.
0: All right, so explain exactly what it is.
1: Peripheral arterial disease is really part of the larger... Um, spectrum of atherosclerosis, or hardening of the arteries, is the uh, common term. Hardening of the arteries, or atherosclerosis, is a systemic disease. It affects all the arteries in our bodies. It comes to our attention when it affects vital areas, like the heart, blockages in the heart arteries causing a heart attack, blockages in the arteries in the neck, the carotid arteries causing a stroke, and in this case, uh, blockages in the arteries that feed blood to the legs, uh, making uh, walking difficult, and in the most severe cases, leading to uh, such a severe impairment of blood flow that patients uh, develop ulceration, limb loss, gangrene, amputations, et cetera.
0: So we're talking about this as a gradual process, or is there a circumstance where it would be an acute condition, a very abrupt rapid onset?
1: Most of the time here, we're talking about a gradual process. Development of cholesterol plaque in the arteries takes years to occur. There are instances where blockages can occur abruptly, where for one reason or another, a patient develops a clot in one of the arteries, maybe a clot forms elsewhere in the body. For instance, in a patient with atrial fibrillation who can develop a clot in the left atrial appendage, one of the chambers of the heart, and if a piece of that clot breaks off and goes traveling, certainly it can cause a stroke, but also uh, clot can end up in other major arteries in the b- body, including the legs, and cause a, an acute obstruction uh, to legs. But that's uh, the minority that causes of uh, problems with uh, impaired blood flow to the legs.
0: So a, a two-prong question then. What does PAD feel like and what does it look like?
1: Well, let's uh, first talk about what uh, PAD feels like. The classic symptoms of peripheral arterial disease, or what we call claudication is the medical term. Typically, cramping in the uh, muscles and legs uh, typically starts with the calves, and as the disease gets more severe, can move up the leg to involve the thighs or even the hips. That cramping occurs with ambulation, with walking, just as angina can occur with exertion. The heart is demanding more blood uh, to work. The legs are demanding more blood to work. They can't get it. The muscles cramp up, patient rests, stop walking, the uh, symptoms go away, and then they come back again when the patient starts to ambulate again.
0: So to be really clear, I mean, if, if you're a victim of nighttime leg cramps while you're lying in bed, you shouldn't be jumping to a PAD problem.
1: Yeah, nighttime leg cramps are really uh, something entirely different. In fact, I mean, nighttime uh, cramps in the legs are, in some cases, uh, an enigma. Uh, there are a number of uh, hypotheses of why uh, patients get cramps at night, but Most of the time, it doesn't have to do with circulation. The other thing that's important to understand, though, about the uh, symptoms of claudication is that those typical symptoms only occur in about a third of patients. Roughly a third of patients have what we call atypical symptoms, meaning they don't get the classic cramping, but their legs, when they walk, feel heavy. They get tired quickly. Kind of nonspecific symptoms like that that occur with uh, exercise And a third of patients, particularly diabetics, get no symptoms whatsoever. Those patients can uh, develop ulcerations or even gangrene and not even know it because they don't feel it because of the way diabetes uh, affects the nerves.
0: So that's when we're talking about what it might look like as opposed to just what it feels like.
1: Looking um, and feeling are uh, important. First of all, when a physician examines the legs, one of the things they'll notice is that the uh, pulses are diminished in the feet. We classically look for uh, pulses of the arteries that uh, run all the way down to the foot. Those pulses will disappear as obstruction occurs. The leg can lose hair, Uh, the skin can look shiny, the limbs can feel cool to the touch. Very often if a patient sits on the edge of the bed and dangles their legs the legs the feet will turn purplish. If they raise their legs up in the air above their head the legs will get very pale.
0: We've been hearing a lot about inflammation versus plaque formation. Can you sort of distinguish the cascade of process in the development of peripheral artery disease and what we need to understand about all of the terminology being thrown at us when we go look at Dr. Google?
1: I think the um, most important thing to understand is that we still have a lot to learn and understand about development of a plaque in the arteries. It's not a simple one cause, inciting event. A number of factors uh, can play into the uh, development of peripheral arterial disease, and those factors can differ from uh, patient to patient. Certainly, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking are extremely significant risk factors. What typically occurs is that something causes damage to the lining of the arterial wall, Uh, whether it be a high blood pressure, trauma, or uh, a number of reasons why we can have damage. uh, Just stress and aging can damage the uh, arterial walls. Uh, That does set up an inflammatory process as the body tries to repair itself. Part of that inflammatory process is the deposition of cholesterol. Over time, that uh, cholesterol plaque can become very heavily calcified as well. Again, it's a whole spectrum with a number of factors contributing ultimately to build up of plaque and obstruction of blood flow. So again it's it's not a simple one one word or one cause answer.
0: Can you ignore your PAD? Can you just live along with it and and not treat it?
1: I think uh, ignoring PAD, particularly patients that are at risks is a major mistake. You know, it's interesting, one of my colleagues, when he speaks about uh, PAD, has a slide that he uses in his uh, presentations, and its uh, I think it really applies here, and that is when grandma and grandpa gets chest pain, we tell them to go to the emergency room. When grandma and grandpa get leg pain, we tell them it's part of getting older, and it really does not have to be part of uh, getting older, number one. Number two is, I already mentioned, atherosclerosis is a systemic disease. So it is also a warning sign that if you have blockages in your legs, you may have blockages elsewhere in your body. About 70% of patients who have blockages in their legs will also have blockages in their heart, whether or not they've had symptoms or or problems with their heart. About 70% of those patients may have significant uh, obstruction in the carotid arteries. So again, it's important to understand that it is a a systemic uh, disease process. Left untreated and certainly not reducing your risk factors and ignoring it, in extreme cases, as we already talked about, can lead to a, such a severe impairment of blood flow that we get a breakdown of the skin, wounds, even frank gangrene, and ultimately the worst case scenario, amputation if uh, it's not addressed. To be clear, not everyone will progress to the uh, point of having such uh, severe PAD that they uh, develop ulcerations or amputations. But in that worst-case scenario, about 50% of patients who have an amputation will have a contralateral, meaning the other limb, a contralateral amputation within two years. 50% of those patients will not be alive within five years. Not only is it a predictor of future severe events, number one, but until that happens, also it's a major lifestyle uh, problem. Most patients who have an amputation will never become fully ambulatory again. Loss of work, loss of income, inability to participate in the normal activities of daily living, do things with your family, go to the mall, walk, shop, enjoy life. It can really interfere with uh, all of those things uh, very severely.
0: All right. So when you want to look into somebody who is presenting with some symptoms or signs, what do you do to diagnose peripheral arterial disease? What kind of tests, what kind of procedures might uh, a person undergo?
1: With making any uh, diagnosis, the first step is a careful history and physical uh, by your uh, physician. Number one, understanding the risks. And number two, asking your physician about those risks. If you have those risks, you know, what are my chances of getting PAD? Uh, What what do you find on my exam? You know, unfortunately, uh, too often I I find that, particularly in very, very busy practices, practitioners don't go uh, far enough on the physical exam just taking the time to take off the shoes and socks and feel the pulses in the the foot and looking at the skin and looking at the uh, coloration of the legs and, and feeling those pulses. So again, the first step is a good history and physical, asking the appropriate questions and uh, understanding if you are at risk for that. Once you've made the diagnosis or are suspicious that you have PAD, simple screening tests include something called an ankle brachial index. That's a fancy term for the uh, blood pressure in the uh, ankle divided by the blood pressure in the arm. Normally, the blood pressure in the feet should be the same or slightly higher than in the arm. So it gives us a fraction. If that ratio is 0.9 or greater, it's considered normal. If it's 0.7 to 0.9, mild to moderate PAD. If 0.5 to 0.7, moderate to severe PAD. Anywhere less than 0.5, very severe PAD. You have to be careful about that measurement, though. As the disease progresses, these vessels can become heavily calcified, If the vessels are calcified, it can actually give you an ankle brachial index that's greater than 1, 1. 1. 1.2, 1.4, 1.6. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. What that means is there's probably a lot of calcium in the vessels, and you need to investigate that further because that can mask impairment of blood flow by a falsely elevated ankle brachial index. Other simple studies include uh, vascular ultrasound. Again, that's a non-invasive test, which can give us a sound wave picture, for lack of a better word, of the uh, flow through the arteries in the legs. Something called a PVR or pulse volume recording is another simple non-invasive test that can uh, identify whether or not there may be obstruction of, of blood flow in the legs. If those tests are positive, then we can think about moving on to more invasive uh, type evaluation. Certainly a CT angiogram is a good way of looking at the blood flow in the legs. Again, that's non-invasive, just done with contrast injection and uh, a CT scan. If you have a very high index of suspicion or that you pretty much know you're going to find something and you want to intervene or treat it, then you can do an angiogram directly to look at the the blood flow in the legs. Very often when we do an angiogram and we have a high index of suspicion that we're going to find something, We'll proceed at the same time to go ahead and uh, open up the blockages in the legs. Much of the technology that we've used to open up uh, arteries in the heart, balloons, stents, rotor routers et cetera, we've now adapted that technology to the legs. These days, probably the majority of uh, times, we can improve blood flow, open up arteries uh, non-surgically.
0: So the treatment goals for peripheral artery disease. Number one, can you reverse the process?
1: You know, there's some evidence that over a very, very long period of time with a very strict diet and very, very aggressive medical therapy to lower cholesterol and very, very aggressive uh, exercise programs, that there may be some degree of reversal of plaque. I think the more realistic goal is to keep things from getting worse once you've made the diagnosis, certainly altering your lifestyle, getting on a good diet, keeping the blood pressure under control, keeping diabetes under control a good exercise program. Exercise does a number of things. Number one, it helps control your blood pressure, helps lower your blood pressure. It helps you lose weight, which may improve uh, your severity of diabetes if you're diabetic. Uh, It also helps to uh, promote the development of collateral blood flow if you've already developed uh, blockages in the arteries. New little microchannels that uh, get blood around the obstruction and help to uh, improve the blood flow into the tissues. So those are the simple first steps, diet, medication, and a good exercise program. After that, if the patient is still symptomatic, if there are signs of disease progressing, we can move on to the more uh, you know, aggressive evaluation and or intervention.
0: All of those things that you described are essentially ways to prevent it. If you know it's in your family, if you know there are other risk factors, all of the above is a way to prevent the development of PAD.
1: Yes, if you know the risk factors ahead of time, that you're at risk for developing a cholesterol plaque in your arteries, certainly never starting to smoke, keeping the weight under control, trying to not become one of the statistics of the uh, diabetes uh, epidemic uh, that we have, uh, achieving a healthy body weight, which will control the blood pressure and control the the sugar. All those things can help prevent or certainly reduce the likelihood of uh, developing obstructive arterial disease, not only in the legs, but elsewhere in your body.
0: I'm Rasa Kay. I'm talking to Dr. Richard Kovech. He's the Director of Interventional Cardiology at Deborah Heart and Lung Center in Burlington County, and we're talking about peripheral artery disease. When you say don't smoke, is it the act of smoking, or is it what you're smoking?
1: I think it's, uh, to be honest, I think it's uh, both. Anytime you draw a, a foreign substance, smoke ash into your lungs, it can cause damage to the lungs, regardless of what the source of that smoke is.
0: What are some of the limitations to living with PAD?
1: Well, obviously, if there's been damage to the tissue or limb loss, uh, that's going to severely limit your physical activity. What we do know is that uh, actually exercise is good. The more you can exercise, the better. Exercise helps promote the development of collateral uh, blood flow. It helps condition your muscles, it helps you lose weight, it helps control diabetes, it helps lower your blood pressure, all the things that may uh, play into the progression of, of uh, PAD. So I think exercise is extraordinarily important. Lifestyle changes, I think, that need to be made are actually, I think, positive changes that are beneficial for your overall health. You know, getting on a good diet not only is it going to help your PAD, but it has obvious other beneficial effects by being on a good low-fat, low-cholesterol, low-carbohydrate diet, uh, again, to control your blood pressure and, and control your weight. If we have found significant obstructive disease, there are technologies now that uh, allow us to open up the vessels non-surgically. Stents, as we do, for, which are little metal scaffolds to hold the arteries open, like we do in the heart. We have a number of different types of devices that allow us to get through uh, 100% obstructions, even uh, vessels that have been blocked for, for years. Just as we have uh, drug eluting technologies, drug coated stents or medicated stents, when we uh, deliver certain drugs into the tissue after the vessels open, it reduces the risk of the vessel re-narrowing again uh, after the procedure has been done. We tend to deliver that drug, those types of drugs, differently in the periphery only because if we start putting in a lot of stents, that actually can lead to an increased risk of the vessel re-narrowing. If you can just picture this, you know, if you have a blockage in the artery of the heart that's only a few millimeters long, we put a short little stent in there, the artery's open, that's great. We're talking about long arteries that typically are very diffusely diseased through the whole thigh or the whole calf. If you try to stent a whole vessel like that, that's an awful lot of metal. Placing a stent in and of itself can create an inflammatory process, which can lead to re-narrowing. The more metal you put in, uh, the more chance, actually, that the uh, artery may re-narrow. Also, unlike the heart, which is uh, protected by the uh, rib cage, the uh, vessels in the legs are exposed, and the legs are constantly moving and flexing and twisting, so those uh, stents can become damaged and fractured. So, although in the past we tended to put a fair number of stents in, these days we've actually drifted away from that. We're delivering those types of anti-restenotic or anti renarring drugs on the surface of balloons. Now, some people picture that the balloon gets left in there. No, the balloon never gets left in there. It doesn't get left in there in the heart either. The balloon is used to stretch open the artery. Now we have that drug impregnated on the surface of the balloon that when we inflate the balloon and stretch open the artery, that drug is deposited in the tissue, and that way we get a uh, similar effect uh, to the drug coated stents in the heart. The uh, technologies also are uh, becoming much, much smaller. Patients who may have uh, had heart catheterization in the past know that typically in, in years past we would go in through a puncture in the groin. These days, more and more we're going in through a um, puncture in the wrist in the radial artery and can do catheterization and angioplasty of the heart uh, through the wrist, We now can enter the arteries in the legs uh, through the the small arteries in the foot, even the arteries in the uh, toes with microcatheters. And we can deliver treatment through small punctures in the foot as well. Obviously, when we're dealing with larger arteries, like up in the pelvis and in the thigh, The balloons and stents and rotor rooters and whatever technologies we're using to remove plaque are too too big to put in from the foot. But in many cases, we can treat and open up the arteries from smaller punctures in the foot, just like we do uh, with the heart now through punctures in the, the wrist artery.
0: So for this procedure that you described, through the foot, what's your downtime typically?
1: Well, if we do a procedure through a puncture in the foot, just like through a puncture in the wrist for the heart, typically those patients can get out of bed within an hour or two after the procedure, and uh, we don't have to do the prolonged bed rest. Even when the patient is fully anticoagulated after the procedure, uh, we hold a little pressure on that puncture site, and those uh, patients are able to get out of bed very quickly after the procedure, and most uh, instances go home the same day.
0: So why bring your achy legs to Deborah?
1: Number one is we have on staff a number of physicians who are highly uh, experienced in the diagnosis and treatment of peripheral arterial disease, uh, particularly non-invasive, or I should say non-surgical management of PAD, number one. Uh, Number two, we have access to uh, many technologies that are not available elsewhere. And at board we also have a very uh, robust uh, research program, which gives us even further access to other devices and technologies that are not available elsewhere. We have an outstanding staff, very, very experienced staff, uh, very highly technically skilled staff that can give you the best care possible.
0: What's in the pipeline for this disease?
1: Probably one of our, our biggest Achilles heels is still keeping the disease from coming back, keeping the blockages from from coming back. We have the drug-coated balloons to deliver drug directly into the arteries to help keep them open once we've opened them. But again, we're talking with long areas of disease, you know, 300, 400 millimeters long. Even with these new technologies, there's still uh, the challenge of keeping the whole artery open. What we do know, though, is that if there is renairering that occurs, these arteries can be opened again with similar technologies. Within reason, there's almost no limit to the number of times that we can go back in and open up an artery. But probably the biggest Achilles heel is uh, the smaller vessels below the knee. If you have a big artery and you open it up and it develops a little bit of re-narrowing and re-scarring, you still have... A fairly big channel to get blood through. If you're talking about uh, blood vessels in the foot that are millimeter and two in diameter, uh, even if we open up that artery, you don't have to develop a lot of scar tissue or a redeposition of cholesterol to re-narrow the artery again. So I think keeping things open long term is where a lot of the uh, research and, and development is, uh, is going those 100% blockages are what we call chronic total occlusions. In the main artery in the thigh, it's called the superficial femoral artery, actually fairly easy to deal with. We can get through those very quickly, uh, easy to get in and out of the uh, the total blockage. Again, anytime you're dealing with a smaller vessel, like the arteries below the knee, uh, getting those chronic total occlusions are still challenging. But we do have a number of devices New wires, new atherectomy or devices that actually remove plaque from the artery, new devices that allow us to navigate through those chronic total occlusions, even in small vessels, are becoming available.
0: DeBoer is hosting a screening event this month, Saturday, September 23rd. For people at risk, people thinking they have PAD, how do you get yourself over there?
1: The screening is Saturday, uh, September 23rd. I would encourage anybody uh, that's interested to uh, call in or go online to sign up for the event. We always have a a very good turnout, and we want to give patients every opportunity to uh, be evaluated. You can go online at demanddeboer.org. Or you can call in at 609-621-2080 to schedule an appointment to be seen on that day. Whether you go online or call in, you will be given a short questionnaire. So we'll ask you about your risk factors and symptomatology. And if it looks like you are number one at risk for PAD or very likely may have PAD, we'll schedule you for an appointment to come in that day. You'll receive some uh, basic non-invasive screening tests at the same time, and we'll have uh, time to sit down with the healthcare provider to discuss your symptoms, the results of the testing that's been done, and determine whether or not further evaluation or workup is needed.